Second Timothy chapter one. We'll begin reading in verse six. Paul, after telling Timothy in the opening of this letter, he remembered the faith that was in his mother and grandmother. He says in verse 6, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor me his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death, and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. We'll stop reading there. My thought tonight is found in verse 10. I want to preach on immortality. Immortality. I've been thinking about meditating and considering the scriptures on immortality. Immortality just simply means endlessness. Endlessness. The Bible speaks of immortality in four or five places. It speaks of mortality. Mortality means uh, it has an end. All the time, every time the Bible talks about our mortal life or, or mortality, it refers to our bodies, these physical bodies. But when it speaks of immortality, it speaks of an endlessness life. Okay? So the hope of the Christian is immortality. And we're going to look at some of that tonight. But I want to go down through these verses here, beginning in verse 6. As I as I read and meditated upon this, I just can't I just can't uh, not do a little preaching on these verses coming down through here because they were so good to me. Paul said, as a result of the faith that's in you, which dwelt first in thy mother and grandmother, and you have the same faith as them, he said, I, he said in verse 6, I put thee in remembrance. I want to call to your memory that thou stir up the gift of God. And so we need to constantly, in the way that the Lord has provided to us, we need to stir up the gift of God that's in us. You, you have to do that. God enables you to do that. Stir up the gift of God. You know, uh, shine it up. Polish it up. Look at it. Think about it. Meditate upon it. You've got something of rarity. You've got something precious. You've got something unique. You've got something endless. You've got something that that immortality has no end. And there's nothing this side of, of eternity that is, does not have an expiration date on it. Everything you know has an expiration date on it. Your body, your vehicles, everything is, goes to rot and decay. Okay? That everything is gravity and the fall of sin pulls everything down. It's called corruptible. It, it's decay. Yea, even our bodies. But but that's 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 okay because we're told here that we have immortality through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to stir up that gift of God that's in us that culminates with this this immortal life. And you do that by meditating on it, thinking about it. You look death, you look physical death straight in the face. You don't hide from it. You don't dilute it with drugs and alcohol and 
or a fantasy mentality. You look at death straight in the face and you come to terms with physical death. Everybody here should do that that's old enough to understand. Now, I know young folks, I've been young and am now old, as the writer said. And I realize that young people, especially in the, what we call the prime of life, middle life, 30, 40, and even 50, you don't think much about that. But when you get over, on over, you start thinking about, hey, at my day, my appointment with death is coming. So you stir up the gift of God by going to the scriptures in the spirit of God. And, and, and you notice here over and over again, he, he says, by the Holy Ghost. By the Spirit of the Lord. You can't just read the Bible and conjure up some good thoughts about immortality. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God and makes it alive to you. So you stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And Paul was speaking there when he laid hands on Timothy and the Holy Ghost was given to him. And so by the Spirit of God, you stir up this gift. Timothy had probably the way that Paul wrote to him in 1st and 2nd Timothy, he probably had some timidity, bashfulness. Uh, he was young. So Paul is encouraging him, you know, Timothy, you need to stir this thing up. You've got something that it overcomes the world. The power of the world cannot diminish what you have, and you need to stir this up in you. I would tell the church tonight that we need to stir up the gift of God that's in us. Yeah. I mean, you bear down on what God has given you. You think about it. You, you do that in worship of the Lord, in meditation of the Word of God, the promises of God, and you come to terms with the way things are. You can't change the terms that have been set in humanity, but you can deal with them and by the grace of God, you overcome those terms. The, the terms of your limitations. The terms of your mortality. The terms of your corruption. It is a very real thing to stir up that gift of God which is in you. It's given to you by God. He, he has given you that and, and, and you stir that up. Okay, and a pastor ought to stir it up and preaching on it, but the people ought to take the word of God and say, "Hey, you know, I got something the world don't have." And, and by the way, ever since I got born again, nothing in this world do I regret leaving behind. Man, I, I feel like I well, I know I'm on the better end of the deal. All of that leads to corruption, and so I want to stir up this gift of God, and I do that. I mean, I might get up melancholy sometimes, not very much, but, you know, just facing life again and again and again, and my corruptible body, uh, the pains and all that I go through, and I just got to get things about this. Okay, I, I, that's what I got. I mean, I can't change that, and you can't change it either, but it, by the power of God and the grace of God, you have already overcome that, and God gives you all sufficient grace to go through whatever you're going to go through from now to the end of your life, okay? As a matter of fact, since we come to terms with death, Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, and for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. Ephesians chapter 2, he says, you who are dead and trespasses, when you come to terms with your death, then death hath no more dominion over you. And it's all in the way you face it. You come to terms with it in the faith. And now, and we're going to read some of those scriptures tonight, death has no more dominion over you. You're not afraid of me. Okay? We're going to die. Who here is not going to die? Everybody I know has died or will die. And so that's just a part of the human experience. But we don't, ha we're not, we don't have hopelessness in that. You get on a word like immortality, and tomorrow you think about it 76 times, or 84 times, or at least 49 times, just immortality. I've got immortality in Christ. The Lord has given me immortality, endlessness. He don't even call, I started to say, since you come to terms with death, your mortal body, and the judgment that God put on your mortal body, and you've agreed with God that you deserve to die in the flesh. Now, most people don't agree with that. 
But you're looking at a preacher that preaches and you need to agree with God that you need that you deserve to die in the flesh. Amen. That's how you get his grace to cope with that. And it doesn't it doesn't overpower you. You deserve it. Well, did God do anything wrong when he pronounced you eat of that tree and the day you eat thereof, thou shalt surely die? And they ate and they died, and everybody they, that's been born of them has died. And God was right in his judgment. And I agree with God. Lord, you're right. You know what most people want to do, folks? They want to go to heaven in their mortal body. They want heaven to be just a replica of what they got down here. So if you like to fish down here, these idiots called preachers that preach these funerals and stand over these dead corpses who like to deer hunt and fish and race cars and play ball and basketball and they make that heaven, that whole crowd is lost. You give up that lifestyle. You die to that stuff. Motorcycle riding and horse, uh, horse church and all that kind of stuff. Cowboy church. God don't know nothing about a cowboy church. He ain't within three million miles of cowboy church or a motorcycle club game for Jesus. I don't care what popular preacher. Every bit of that is apostasy. It's blasphemy. You die to that stuff. That's the mortal man. That's the corruption that's in the world through lust. And so people just put religion on that kind of lifestyle and say, I'm going to heaven like this. No, you're not going to heaven with none of that. Nobody is. And so you don't look at it like that. You have, you have if you're saved, you agree with God that you're dead in trespassing and sin. You can't get saved without agreeing with God that you're dead in trespassing sin. The only way you'll ask God to forgive you of your sins and the death that it deserves is, is to know that you deserve death in the physical man. A lot of people don't like preaching cut that tight. And so what they have is some smooth talking preacher talking about celebration of life and generally, they celebrate their fallen, corrupt life, and they stand up there and they tell everybody out there in the funeral service where they're preaching on this, they talk to them about what kind of life they had. The life that you have now is corruptible. And the flesh and the lust thereof are going to die with your corruptible body. But we have a tabernacle, a, a building of God not made with hands, Reserved in heaven for us, 2 Corinthians 5 says. For in this tabernacle we groan, wanting, waiting to be clothed with that building we have from God, uh, of God, not made with hands. And so we look forward to another body. And we've given up this lifestyle and all its perks and all of its pleasures and all of its lust and all of those things. They have no more hold over me and dominion over me. My hope, our citizenship is in heaven from which we look for the Savior. And so he's going to change our vile body and fashion it like under his door's body. So I just agree God, my body's vile. When I go to climbing ladders, my knees give me, it's like daggers going through my knees. I just climb them anyway. I just, I just mock You're going to get a new knee someday. You're going to have a new body someday. And I'm not opposed to getting worked on and getting kind of fixed up a little bit temporarily. But we ain't going to heaven in these bodies. We got another body coming. Fashioned like under his glorious body. So, so we need to stir that gift up. I almost changed the message. Just preached on stir it up. Stir up the gift of God which is in me about eternity, immortality. Focus on that. If you'll focus on immortality and endless life that's in Christ Jesus, if we'll focus on that, it would help us to, uh, to, to deal with our daily uh, insufficiency, infirmities, Paul called them. The infirmities of our flesh. If you focus on things endless and immortality. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for our light affliction which it but for a moment. That's talking about the body working for us a, a far more exceeding eternal way to glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Man, Man I go visit with people and I know we need to pray for one another. I ain't getting on nobody here. Nobody gripes when they're sick as much as I do. Yeah. 
Amen. Okay? Just ask my wife. She said, I know. I get a little head cold and you call it pneumonia and the Asian flu. But, I, you know, I understand when you're sick, it's just in the forefront, especially when you're hurting. It's just, it, it's, you're, I told Sister Emily Morrison, talked to her the other day, and I said, I know you are, your companion is sickness. I understand that. But I said, you can't let it dominate you. And I, I talked to her some about you. I said, you've got to look past this and pray that God would help you over this. But if he doesn't, if you if this is it, you've got something beyond this thing. And that's what you focus on. And it, it is all about what you focus on. That's a Wednesday, that's coming up Wednesday night. How you look at things. So Paul said, while we look not at the things which are seen. You go to visit with somebody and they talk for nine hours about, about their, their problem. I understand that. But hey, I, let's talk about what's coming. Amen. Paul's in jail. He's writing letters to the churches. He ain't grousing around about what's all going on and not going on down there in jail. He's telling them what they got, the blessings they have, the riches they have, all that they have in Christ Jesus, and what's coming. Writing them the letters out of that jailhouse. And so he accepted where he was at. Folks, you've got to, you've got to understand. You accept the, where you're at and what, what you are dealing with in life. And you look not at the things what you're saying. You deal with it, but that is not your focus. And so the message tonight is stir up the gift of God, which is in you. And look not at the things what you're saying, but the things what you're not saying. Not the temporal things, but the things which are eternal. Let me say, tell you something tonight and testify to you. It helps me. It helps me to do that. It helps me in my inner man. And so Paul says, the, the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. We've got an, uh, an eternal, immortal life, a body waiting on us. That is, that is the... That is the promise of salvation. When you read in the Bible about hope, it is the hope of a, a better life, a new body. It's the hope of heaven. It's the hope of eternity. It, it's all that you have in Christ that is to come. Faith is something hoped for, evidence of things not seen. So we've got something a lot better coming. Let's deal with what we got to deal with down here and pray about it, but let's keep our eyesight, you know, on the other side of this thing. With the things that are not seen. Yes. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And you have, you, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, right now, this moment, you have eternal life. You have endless life. You have everlasting life. You have immortality. You have that now. It is a, a present personal possession that you have. Amen. That's how you know you're saved. You ain't hung up about the here and now. You got a better place coming, buddy. You got a you got a home in heaven. Your conversation is in heaven for which we look for the Savior. We're looking for a, a new body, a new life. And so all of this, stir that up. Stir that up in you. Meditate. Think about that kind of stuff. So he says, stir up the gift of God. Verse 7, for God has not given us the spirit of fear. Okay? Now he, here, we're, he's talking about, I know whom I have believed in and persuaded. He's able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. Now Paul, Paul and he, he, we get in here in just a minute, we're going to get into afflictions. God has not given you the spirit of, to fear affliction. Yeah. He's not giving you that spirit. He's giving you the spirit. Uh, the, he's not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power. That power overcomes your fear of affliction. Y'all don't know this man, brother Homer may have met him. Wayne and him met him. Uh, Emily Morrison's daddy's name was. O.H. Uh, what was his last name? Anyway, he come to church with us when he was up in Natchitoches. And he got long, long, long in years. 
and he fell. Had a bad accident, hit his head real bad, and they put him in the hospital. He had clarity of mind, but he was, he was so far along, and the doctor was telling the family there's not really much we can do for him. And he come in there, and the doctor was talking to him, and he could converse with him. He said, Doc, he just told me, he said, Doctor, I'm just ready to go on. I'm just ready to go on. I, he said, You know, uh, if I can't, if y'all can't help me out right here, determination, then I'm just ready to go on. And he just went on. In a few days, he's gone. He had hope of eternal life. And I'm not, I'm not saying anybody here ought to check out early or want to check out early. But you don't fear. He's not giving you the spirit of fear, but of power to overcome your earthly limitations. And he has shown that through all the miracles that he worked. He proved to us through those miraculous healings and Death, Jesus was Jesus afraid of death? Yeah. Jairus' daughter died. Don't worry about it. She ain't dead. She's sleeping. And they laughed at him, mocked him, laughed in the storm. He wasn't afraid of death. He wasn't afraid of his own death. Yeah. He wasn't afraid of anybody's death. He raised the dead. He wasn't afraid of Lazarus' death. He he let Lazarus die purposely. So he can tell everybody down there, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth on me, though he uh, though he died, yet he shall live. In John eleven, I am the resurrection and life. And so, you've not been given the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let me just mention here about this love. God ain't gonna lose one of His children. He loves us too much. Care how old we get. I don't care how bad accident you get into. I don't care about what kind of infirmity hits you, cancer, or anything else. He loves you. And if you go to Romans chapter 8, you can say, what shall separate us from the love of God? Peril, famine, sword, sickness, principality, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is given us in Christ Jesus. So you've been getting, so you need to stir up the gift of God and think about God loves me. God knows right where I'm at. God's not giving me the spirit of fear, so I'm just I'm just quaking at this. He's giving me the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind to think right about what I'm going through. Then in verse 8 he said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction of the gospel according to the power of God. So we're not supposed to be ashamed. The true gospel always brings afflictions. Amen. I have been preaching the gospel now for 30 years and there's been a lot of afflictions that go with it. The preacher that lives his life trying to weave his way and not be afflicted that come with the gospel, the afflictions that come with the gospel is, a, is not one of God's faithful preachers. You preach the gospel, you're going to have afflictions that accompany that. It's been that way always through the scripture. Jesus told Jerusalem, said, which of, the, uh, which of the prophets did your fathers not kill? It can't be that a prophet should die out of Jerusalem. That's why he went to Jerusalem. Because all true preachers have been afflicted for the truth. Jesus came down this world and they hated him. They still hate him. He said, marvel not if the world hates you, it hated me, it's going to hate you. And hatred brings affliction. It's just, the shocking thing is, who they come from. But you are appointed to affliction. And you ought not to be ashamed of that. And you ought not to be cowardly when it comes to that. I told somebody here recently, situations that arise in families, you get families, you get these ungodly atheists, People that just reject Christ, reject anything to do with God, you need to be a Christian to them, but you need to have some courage in dealing with them. Yeah. And if they can stand up to you with that blather that they call philosophy and reasoning, they're going to sit there and hear me what I got to say. Okay, you talk, now I'm just to talk. Yeah. You're going to die with that mess. And you need to have, matter of fact, what demon can stop Jesus? What demons stopped Paul? Now the demons overcome, overcome the seven sons of Sceva because 
They didn't have no power. They just gonna cast that devil in the in the name of Jesus, who Paul preached. That's what all this religious world doing today. They casting out devils in in the name of Jesus, who Paul preached. And the devil overcomes them, and that's why they run off, get married four or five times, and steal from the church, and commit adultery, and everything else. That's the demons overcoming these so-called preachers. But you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind, and the afflictions that come with the gospel, we are to be protectors of them, and the devil... Greater is he that's in you that's in the world. You have overcome the wicked one because the word of God abides in you and you are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Ephesians chapter 6. So you stir up this wonderful gift you've been given to face all of this. And we'll look at that a little bit more about the devil. But he says, he says, be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. So here, let me just give you that little nutshell while I go on. So here you see, afflictions are coming. You know they're that. You're dealing with some issue, something's coming up, some sickness, some deal, some family deal, some whatever. You see that affliction right there, and Apostle Paul and the Spirit of God tells you, as you look at that, you partake of it. You don't try to shuck it. You don't just try to endure it with not a lot of damage. You you can't get around it. There's been things in my life. I thought, oh, I got it. This is mine. I've got to partake of this. And some of it was heavy. For me, it was heavy, 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 heavy. But I could either turn tail and run, or I could look it straight in the eye and partake of it. And some of that lasts a long time. Partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. You can't get away from it. Be not therefore thou ashamed of the testimony of the Lord and me of his prayer to be a partaker of the faith of the gospel according to the power of God. So God's going to give God's going to give people power who partake of the affliction of the gospel. And he ain't going to give anybody any power who won't partake of the affliction of the gospel. Verse 9. Who has saved us, praise God, and called us with a holy calling. So salvation without a holy calling is not salvation. Say that again. Salvation without a holy calling is not salvation. Now we're unholy in our nature, but we repented of our unholiness. We told God we're wicked and a big fat zero and we're no good. And we asked God to forgive us. And God gave us the holiness and the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. Now he tells me, be ye holy for I am holy, saith the Lord. So that right, right here, he says, he saved us and called us with a holy calling. Now, ever since I've been saved, I'm supposed to walk in holiness. My calling, that is my life in service to the Lord, is to be driven in holiness. To live holy and blamelessly before God. He saved you and called you with a holy calling. Not according to our works, because we don't have any holy works, but that holy calling, but according to his own purpose and grace. Let me just say this in passing. If God purposed to make fallen sinners holy, Amen. thank you. It was his purpose. It wasn't your purpose. Amen. It wasn't my purpose. It was the purpose of God before the world began. It wasn't an afterthought. Listen, he says, but you've given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So here's what God is essentially wanting you to understand. God didn't have to clean up a mess that was made and something he did that wasn't right. He knew all along that Adam, based on God's foreknowledge, not God's predestinating, but based on the foreknowledge of God that man would sin, he provided a Savior before the world began. It was his own purpose that you would be holy. And so he says, but according to his own purpose and grace. So you, you can live holy by the grace of God, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Verse 10. But is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. So just to kind of hasten through this, the manifestation of the endless life is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I never get tired of thinking about the resurrection 
And I don't just think about it in April. Amen. And I don't just think about it when Easter bunnies and chickens lay eggs. Okay? The resurrection, salvation, is our salvation is based on his resurrection. That's why in the book of Acts, that's basically all they preached was the resurrection of Christ, especially in Israel. They preached the resurrection. Yeah, you killed him. Wasn't no doubt he got, he, they crucified him. Of course, he gave his life. No man taking my life. I, I freely lay it down. I freely take it up. But he gave himself to him. And in their eyes, they crucified him. They, they said, yeah, you did. But God raised him up. And his crucifixion was always in the plan of God. To save your sorry soul. Amen. Amen. God didn't fix the mess up. This was a plan all along. This was the purpose all along. That Christ is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He knew that based on his foreknowledge. He did not predestinate man to sin. Man chose the sin of his own will. God not the author of evil. God not the, cannot be tempted neither. He tempted any man with evil. Man willfully chose to sin. And God knew he would do it. You say, well, why God let him? To display his grace. It's written right there. That he might display his own grace. And so, now made manifest by the period. So, so eternal life in Christ Jesus, and, it, and that it was made manifest by the period of our Savior Jesus Christ. And I like this right here, brother. I preach this every time I preach a funeral. Who hath abolished death? I mean, now, I don't preach this for sinners. Because sinners never get over death. Death is endless death. We have endless life in Christ. They have endless death outside of Christ. Death is not annihilation and out of existence you go. Death is separation from God. Death is cut off from God. Death is eternal punishment. You, you abide in a state of eternal death. Amen. But for the Christian, he has abolished death. He, matter of fact, he don't even call it dying. They, and I'll read this. And he calls it sleeping. He calls it rest. And when you get old and weary and wore out, you'll be thinking about that eternal rest. And so... He had to abolish death. I like that. What is abolishment? Well, what did they do when they abolished slavery? They ended it. Jesus Christ ended death. Meditate on that. Look at that. Stir up that in you. He abolished death. When it comes to your time to die, if God leaves you your full faculties and cognizance, and you look at death and you know you're fixing to die, read that verse. Claim that verse. Say that verse. He abolished death. He abolished death. He abolished death. And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Brother, that's what I believed in. Amen. You say, you're pretty stirred up about it. You're right, I'm stirred up about it. I'm trying to get you stirred up about it. You need to look this thing in the face. You Don't run from it. That's what he's saying there. Don't be a coward. Don't run from this. Look at it. That it's appointed unto man once to die, but for the Christian, he abolished death in me. I'm not dying. See, I've come to terms with my own death. And so when you come to terms with your own death and you agree with God about it, you never die anymore. You just you just you come to terms with it. Okay. Be happy from the body, be present to the Lord, depart me with Christ, far better men down here. So you've abolished, he's, he has abolished death, and that's been imputed to me. When, when the righteousness of Christ was imputed, reckoned to me, when he imputed his righteousness to me, well, in that imputation is eternal life, immortality. We got something to holler about. We got something to burn out and preach on. We got something to shout about a little bit here. He had abolished death and brought endlessness of life to light through the gospel. Immortality to light through the gospel. Every Christian needs to, 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 to bask in the sunlight of that, of that understanding because one day you're going to face that. And you know not when that day will be. You don't get to choose your appointment. You don't get to say, well, God, you know, Lord, I'm going to fix my kind of work right here. No, you're not either. God is sovereign in that He chooses the day of your departure. And so, 
He brought life and immortality and light to the gospel. That kind of makes me happy, folks. I don't know what it makes y'all. Some of y'all don't look too happy about that, but I mean, what what better thing could you have than immortality? Amen. And it comes through the light of the gospel. Okay. He says, Whereunto I'm appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. Now, he, I know he's talking about judgment there. I know he's talking about the day of the Lord coming. But he's also, in this, he's talking about the day of death. To, I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I committed unto him, my faith, my belief, my trust, against the day of my departure, what we would call death. And to step out of this mortal body when that soul, spirit, and soul leaves my flesh body, it appears in the presence of God. We sang songs about flying and going through the heavens and all that kind of stuff, but I think it's just going to appear. We just appear with him. You say, well, I don't understand that. Well, I don't either, but I believe it. Don't look at going to heaven like a space rocket taking off. God don't need Elon Musk to get you where he is. Amen. All that ridiculousness. You're not going to fly away to heaven like a bird. Well, I don't have a problem singing a song about going up there and, uh, you know, and all of that, but it's not like man's reasoning. Okay? So anyway, he said, I'm persuaded he's able to keep that. So he says in verse 13, hold fast the form of sound words. Now what I'm preaching to you tonight is sound words, which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus, and that good thing which that good thing which was committed unto thee by the uh, under thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. So you keep that gift, verse six, that you stir up the gift of God, and you keep that gift by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. And so what he's saying there is the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He indwells you. He helps. He helps you face these things and deal with these things and and he comforts you about your physical limitations and infirmities and whatever all the way to death. He comforts you there and you keep these things by the power of the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. I like that. Life and immortality to light according to the gospel, through the gospel. Now let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Preaching on immortality. You, you, you can preach this whole chapter. But I ain't going to do that. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. That's your physical body. Corruptible. It is raised in incorruption. That's your new body. It's sown in dishonor. Why, why is it sown in dishonor? Because of sin. Amen. Because of sin. It brings no honor to God for sin to dishonor the body. And so God didn't leave us in that state if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, a lot of people you think, well, these preachers preach a funeral that's honorable thing for them to die. We talk about celebration, celebrating their life. Well, they ended in dishonor. That's what, the, that's what God says about it. I don't care what a preacher says about it. God says it's sown in dishonor. God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked or anybody else. God is endless. Man chose to willfully sin. As a result of sin, God gave a commandment and said, you eat that tree, you're going to die, and everybody you birth is going to die. And that is dishonorable. Think about that. Think about that. That's why your body goes back to the grave. And these dummies burn them up. Because they're... You leave a body, a corpse, unburied, just laying out, and all kinds of dreadful diseases come from the rotting of that corpse. 
And when these big tsunamis and earthquakes hit these places, and they ain't got the infrastructure to bury them people, and them, them bodies just lay out there and die, it creates all kinds of disease. Haiti, I remember when that earthquake hit down there and them people died by the hundreds of thousands. Well, and then they started dying from the diseases that come from those rotting corpses. That's dishonor, folks. We bury a body because it's dishonor. We're to leave that thing out there and open. Amen. And we have the hope of a new body. And by the way, we don't cremate our dead. We bury our dead. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. So the body that we're going to re receive is a glorified body. It's sown in weakness, that's why you die. Man, I was pulling on Red Brunson. I was pulling on him. I was pulling on him with everything I had. Willing him. Willing him to live another, to get better, to get over this. He just got weaker and weaker and weaker. And I stood there and watched him draw his last breath. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's rough, boy. It's rough. But there's a hope of a new body. And my last word to him was, I'll see you later. And I meant, I meant it just like I said it. <coughs> it's sold a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a difference in a natural body and a spiritual body. There's a big difference. Let me say this. Don't put too much honor on your natural body. And that's why they eat right stuff and all that in your natural body. Best you can do is still dishonorable. Best you can do is still weak. Amen. And the spiritual body ain't nothing like the natural body. Your, your, your natural body is created in the image of Adam. Your new body is created in the image of the resurrected Lord. So there's a spiritual body, natural body. As it is written, the first Adam was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. That's referring to Christ. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural. That everybody comes in the natural process and you leave out in the spiritual process if you get saved. That which is natural is first, after that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is of is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. Bear the image of the earthy. As is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. What Paul is saying there is forget thinking about grandma and grandpa and how they look. You won't see them like that again. That's the earthy. You got a heavenly coming. And we have borne the image of the earthy. We all shall also bear the image of the heavenly. See that? I'm going to bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren. Okay, so here's the terms. Here's the terms. This I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Flesh and blood can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. I come to terms with that. I can't go to heaven in a natural body. So I've got to go through the portal of the physical death. All right? So flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. I like that. <laughs> he didn't say we shall not all die. Yeah. See, you come to terms with death. You agreed with God you're worthy of dying. So now death has no more dominion over you. You done died in Christ. Amen. You've been crucified in Christ. Stir this up. This gift of God. I'm crucified with Christ. That you can't get crucified and not die. So you come to terms with your own limitations, your mortality, and your death. And so now he says, well, you don't die. You sleep. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth. So, you, this is a real deal. This ain't just mind games. He says, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, the new body. And we shall be changed, those that are alive. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. There it is. I got immortality waiting on me. Well, I've got it now, but the body itself is waiting. So when this corruption shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality. 
Then it shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And then he mocks it. Oh, death, where is thy sting? You, you need to have a measure of that. Let me, I'm going to show you why. Oh, death, where's thy sting? Oh, great, where's your victory? Where's your victory? Where's your victory? I'm raised from this grave. Grave don't hold me down. I'm raised from this grave, my, my body. And so he, he said, don't, don't let death scare you. When you're, he's triumphing over death here. He's declaring that death has been abolished. And you need to have that mentality. Oh, death, where's thy sting? Oh, grave, where's thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 2 right quick. Hebrews chapter 2. So when you understand these things and you stir up the gift of God which is in you, the spirit of power and love and of a sound mind, and you really believe and trust the Lord for endlessness of life and mortality. So we read, Beginning in uh, verse 9 of Hebrews chapter 2. Now, now, this is how we look at death. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. He couldn't suffer death without a body. Amen. So he came down here and a virgin, was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Ghost of God in the womb of a virgin and had the sinless nature of his father. He, listen to me. Don't forget what I'm just to tell you. Christ is the incorruptible seed. A lot of people just leave that on the Bible. And I know the Bible, I know what the Bible is. But the Bible without Christ is powerless. And it, the Word was made flesh. The incorruptible seed for Immortality is the spirit of Christ. Not to agree with some verses in the Bible. He, he is the incorruptible seed. Seed is the passing of the nature from father to children. The seed of the man. Of course, in uh, Genesis 3, he said the seed of the woman. And the reason he said the seed of the woman... In Genesis chapter 3, is because the seed of the man is corruptible, is sinful. And so Jesus, in Genesis 3, is born of a virgin, the seed of the woman, not an earthly daddy, but a heavenly father. That's good, folks. <laughs> I can run around a little bit. So, so he, was, he was given a body so he could suffer death for you and I. Okay, i got to hurry up. He says, uh, we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Well, look up here. You're going to be crowned with glory and honor. You live your life out, you're going to be sown in dishonor, but you're going to get crowned in glory and honor. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Now look, God don't require for the man, but one man to taste death for that man. Now either you'll taste death for yourself or Christ will taste death for you. But me and Christ ain't tasting death for me. Think about that. That's why he says, then we'll sleep in Jesus. Christ tasted my death. And so, that he should taste death for every man. So he don't have to taste death, and I, I don't have to taste death to satisfy God. Amen. Christ tasted my death. He tasted death for every man. Okay? For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things. Am I confusing people about dying? You have to understand what I'm preaching. My, I come to terms with my mortality, my, my corruptible body. And I, ha I have agreed with God that I'm crucified with Christ. I died with Christ. That is a real deal. So now I don't have endless death in me. I have endless life in me. And mortality. And the body is going to be this body. I cannot inherit the kingdom of God in this body. 
So one day I'm going to lay down this old robe of flesh. But I'm not dying. He that liveth and believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, and, and, he, and he shall never taste death. And so he calls it sleeping. Okay. He says, For by him were all things in bringing many sons into glory. That's talking about your glorified life to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Or he's the captain of our salvation and he, he, he suffered for us in verse 10. Verse 11. For both he that sanctifies and they are who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to be called. To, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. That's his identity with you and I that believe on him. Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. And he did that. Verse 13, and again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, that's to save, that's to redeem. Verse 14, where I want to get to. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Jesus had flesh and blood. But his blood was perfect blood, sinless blood, purchasing blood, purifying blood, yours ain't. And so he was made like unto you that he could suffer death. He also himself likewise took part of saying, what? why? That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now you think about that. The power of death. was with the devil until Jesus resurrected. And then I don't know how he done it, and you don't either, but I like to say it this way. He walked up to them and said, give me the keys, sucker. Give me the keys to death and hell. And Satan had to give up the keys to death. He That through death... He, Jesus just didn't die. He went through death and resurrected. Verse 14. He might destroy him. He destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And so I'm not in bondage to death anymore. Not in subject. I'm not in subject. I'm not in subject to the bondage of death because that the gospel brings to light life and immortality to light. And I believe that, and that is a present possession. We're saved by hope. Okay? The hope which is seen is not hope. And so we have this now in earnest in our hearts. We're waiting on it. The Holy Spirit seals this to our heart. Last verse, last passage, first Thessalonians, chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter 4. We're talking about immortality tonight. Deathlessness. In, in deathlessness. Endless life. Life to no end. Verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others have which have no hope. Now here's what's going on there, Thessalonians. You got false teachers. Come in and said, ha ha, those that are dead, gone. Forget it, you'll never see them again. And scared these people. Amen. That's exactly what went on. They're dead, they're gone, you'll never see them again. And that's the two letters to the Thessalonians was basically wrapped up in dealing with that. But he says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, not dead, but are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Those that are outside of Christ have no hope or immortality. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now, folks, let me just, without going into it and trying to explain it to the, to the point that it confuses you, 
When he talks about sleeping in Jesus, he's talking about your, your natural body. But your soul and spirit goes to be with the Lord when you get when you die. And so we got a marker over here in the cemetery that says we laid them to rest right there. And he he's calling that sleep. And God has promised us a new body. And in the twinkling of an eye, uh, mysteriously, that new body is going to come forth from that grave. That's the resurrection of the dead, the glorified. Amen. You understand that? And so, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain and the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So some's living on earth, and some's already died. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, that's the glorified body coming out of the grave. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we, be, uh, so shall we ever be with the Lord. We'll, we'll comfort one another with these words. So, so we're going to get a new body. Some people are going to be top, top side. And you're going to, you're going to be, whoever that is is going to be standing there. And that corruptible body is going to be put off. And the incorruptible is going to be put on in the twinkling of an eye. The twinkling of an eye is instantaneously. You, you, you can't see it. You, the twinkling of an eye, that's not the batting of your eyelids. The fastest moving part of your body is your eye. The way God created your eye. And as it moves and, and focuses on whatever it does, it just, it's so fast that you can't see it. When you can see somebody turn their head and look over there, but you know, I can look at that window and look over here and look over here and look over here. Twinkling them an eye, it's just, boom, it's done. And that's what the living saints, it's going to happen now. It's just, boom, it's going to happen. Just instantly. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So I'm trying to comfort you tonight. We're going to all die from a physical standpoint. But I've already died. I've already agreed with God in mine. Yeah. And so I've come to terms with it. So now I've got grace to live the rest of my life in this body. To and bring my body uh, and mortify the bad things on earth and bring my body into service to the Lord and live the rest of my life in service to the Lord but I, this thing's going to the grave if Jesus don't come back and I have immortality that you can't see you can't see it while we look not at the things we're seeing but the things that are not seen so faith is the evidence of things not seen such things hope for evidence of things not seen so I have immortality that's a present possession of me, and I need to stir that up pretty regular. Pretty regular. Stir up that gift, that part of the gift of God which is in you. Immortality. I pray that everybody here tonight hears me preach has that. You can have that. Jesus bought it for you. He purchased it for you. What you can't do is get it on your own terms. You got to get it when God opens the door. You know, Jesus said, I am the door. He used that term, door. Noah's ark had a door. Who wanted to get in Noah's ark after the flood hit? Everybody. Who wanted to get in Noah's ark after the flood hit? Everybody. Who got in Noah's ark after the flood hit? Nobody. God shut the door. So when the Lord is dealing with you, he brings us to life in your understanding and quickens your heart, gives you gives you an understanding heart and mind about your mortality and your corruption, it's then you confess with God and agree with Him and ask God to forgive you of your sins, that you deserve those things that He's judged us in. You deserve. See, folks, listen to me. A lot of preachers preach this message like God messed up in judging our mortal bodies. 
God didn't mess up judging our mortal body. We deserve worse than what he put on us. We don't deserve to get eternal life. We don't deserve to have a new body. We do deserve to die and rot in that ground and go to hell. That's what we deserve. But he didn't leave us in that state. He sent Jesus down here to purchase us out of that state, redeem us from that state. He tasted death for every man. When God brings that to your understanding, that's when you turn to the Lord and trust in him and believe everything I preach tonight about that. Don't I not? You, you'll never understand it all, but you can believe it. And, and what people want is, well, let me show it to me, and if I like it, like if I like it, I'll, I'll tell you if I want it or not. God don't save nobody on him terms. And so, thank God that Jesus has abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Just stand up and have a song.